Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Moving on to the final, we've just had Spain versus Canada. I think the the most interesting thing, I think, for Spain kind of going into the, the final was it wasn't actually to do, I don't think, with Rafael Nadal. It was to do with Bautista Agut, who earlier in the week, you know, tragically, um, his his dad had fallen ill. He had taken himself out of the team um, to be with his uh, father, who sadly passed away. But he he came back. He came back to the team. I think. I think he literally, um, hearing from the, the Spain captain, had the funeral uh, of his father yesterday, and he came back to be with with the Spanish team today. And you know, obviously, there was a conversation on. You know, are you mentally ready to you know play in in the Davis Cup final? And he said he said yes. And the first tie, um, he he played instead of you know Carreño Buster. And uh, he faced Ogier Aliassim, who, again, had been completely, completely absent and was a bit of a surprise, wasn't he? You know, going into the final, I think he had been suffering an, an ankle injury. So we had a, a kind of like a surprise sort of first tie, you know, first up in the final, didn't we? Yeah, I thought it was going to be Pospisil against um, Carreno Buster. And I was very surprised that we had Felix Ogier Aliassim because he hadn't played all week um I just assumed yeah he was like out of the whole tie and I don't think it was maybe the wisest move because you know he hasn't played for a long time he's gonna be very rusty um possibly against Pablo Carreno Buster he might have he might have won but obviously Bautista Agu is a is another level again wasn't sure how he was gonna be what with you know yeah his father passing away I was very shocked to see him come back. I think he was there on the Saturday, wasn't he, um, in the match against Great Britain? But he was just like in the lineup um, and like watching from the sidelines. Not, you know, he wasn't playing. So for him to then take to the court was, yeah, unexpected. But he, I mean, what an amazing, you know, momentous occasion for him. What with all of that going on to actually win his match and, you know, to win the Davis Cup. Um, and play, you know, a very important part in that. I mean, it's it's a very emotional storyline for for him and and for the team. Certainly, because I think you know, I was reading that his his mum also passed away. You know, in the last eighteen months or so, I think he was also meant to have his wedding was scheduled um, for this weekend. And you know, when you know, everything kind of goes out the window, it's just kind of like yeah. And it's it's impressive that he was able to mentally. You know, get ready for that match because you know we we watched him, didn't we? In um, you know, in the Spain, Spain, Croatia. Mm, he well, he thrashed, um, he thrashed Nikola Mektic, didn't he? 
I mean, I guess it probably helped uh, just having that distraction, something to focus on, going back to what he knows, like what's his norm, like you kind of just carrying on. It's probably what he just thought was the best thing to do, you know, um, in the immediate aftermath. So I think, you know, and it, <laughs> I, I don't know, I can't possibly comment, but I guess, uh, yeah, he's going to have a very difficult off season. I'm hoping he can still, you know, go ahead with his wedding, which I think... He, at some point this week um but yeah I mean I just feel so sorry for the guy you know what with everything he's gone through it was just amazing that he was able to do what he did today he put Spain one up and then from there on it was it was the Rafael Nadal show which I kind of feel like it's been the Rafael Nadal show the whole week hasn't it I think he's played eight ties singles doubles and he's he's won them all yeah, he's played, he didn't play the very first doubles, did he, against Russia, but then he's played all the doubles since um, and obviously won all of his singles matches. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a bit like Rafa Nadal versus the world. Um, he was, you know, undefeatable. He was amazing. And obviously it helps, you know, Spain being at home with the fans and the atmosphere. That is obviously a big advantage for them. Um, but yeah, Rafa did what he had to do. He he hasn't lost a match in the Davis Cup since 2004. So it was going to take some going to actually, you know, dethrone him. I mean, Shapovalov got a, had a set point in that second set tie break. You know, he saved two match points. He had a set point. It's, it was close. He, Rafa was very, very tired at the end. And I was thinking, oh gosh, if this goes to a third set, like who knows? But um, he just did enough uh you know, in the end to to eke out that victory for Spain. And yeah, I mean they they've just so if if he wasn't in the squad, obviously I don't think Spain would have would have won this this title again. I mean it's the sixth time they've won it. So what what a sporting nation I mean, what a nation. Uh, they they do have great depth, but obviously it really was the Rafa Nadal show this week. Yes. They, he he played some obviously he played some excellent tennis. And I think what's I think what's really interesting and it's a thing that we don't really talk about as much, I guess, with the the big three is their kind of prowess on a, on a doubles court. And Rafael Nadal, I, you know, probably I think for me of the big three, or you know, if we're looking at Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer on a doubles court, I would probably put him at number one based on you know the tennis I've seen this week because you know he just looks he looks a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, playing playing doubles, whether that's with Granolas or, or Lopez, um, you know, versus someone like Djokovic, who are, you know, I saw against, uh, I saw for Serbia against Russia, and he, he just didn't, he just didn't look at home like he does on on a singles court. Yeah, I think Rafa has played out of the three of them, perhaps a bit more doubles in his time. I mean, certainly Rafa and Novak have played more doubles, I would say, of late than Federer. I mean, you know, Rafa has won Olympic gold in the doubles, so has Federer, to be fair. Um, obviously, none of them have ever won, like, slams in the doubles. Rafa's won Indian Wells doubles. I think he might have won... Uh, well, I think... I don't know if that's the only Masters he's won in doubles, but I don't know who's got the most doubles titles. I know Rafa's got a, f a fair few. Uh, I mean, not many compared to, obviously, most doubles players, but... Um, most of them with Mark Lopez. But um, yeah, like I think that's why, you know, when we saw him play, we were surprised that he came out for the doubles on that Wednesday. But obviously he kind of probably knew it was going to be needed. And I think that really helped him get into doubles touch uh, for the for later in the week because he ended up playing, what, 
four, th- three doubles ties, three doubles matches. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, the, I w- we should just say that semi final against GB, Spain GB, you know, it came down to the doubles and obviously Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski established team. It was very, very close, wasn't it, Joel? I think going into that tiebreak, they had actually won more points. But again, they just you just can't factor in someone, you know, with the ability of Rafael Nadal. And, you know, there were just some, you know, some of those set points you were just kind of thinking, okay, you know, this is going to a third set. But alas, it, it didn't happen, which, you know, for me is... Uh, yeah, it, it is frustrating. It's annoying that you know Spain can call on someone as good as Rafa Nadal, but at the same time, you know he's still you know doubles is different to singles, and he's able. He's you know he's shown that he is able to adapt his game, and you know, I think it's it is a talking point. I think when you kind of look and judge, you know the big three, you know when all of kind of all is said and done. You know, I think when you look at kind of how good are they as the kind of complete player when you factor in singles and doubles you know i think i think nadal is number one because you know it just has i don't know i don't know what it is he just is just able to he's just very solid maybe he's a bit more of a team player as well i feel like he has a better relationship with whoever it is he's on the court with i think you know he's very close with mark lopez they've had a lot of success he's obviously very close to feliciano lopez they're all very good friends i think that really helps um, just like that team mentality. They seem like a very united team, uh, the Spanish team. And I mean, you could just see with Roberto Bautista Agut, you know, what I think it meant for him to have the support of his teammates, you know, in this obviously really difficult time. So I think that really helped. Um, but we also had Canada very, were very reliant on kind of just two players for most of the week, you know, Vasek Pospisil, who hasn't really done an awful lot of lately. Uh, he was amazing, wasn't he, for most of the week? Shapovalov, they really carried Canada. Uh, they were playing both the singles and the doubles. So they Three were... to the final. Yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing season for Canadian tennis, what with Andreescu. So, you know, they should be really proud that they got to the final. I would never have predicted that they would have got that far. I think he was getting the nickname through it, Mr. Mr. Davis Cup. And um, yeah, I mean, you look at his kind of um, his last kind of 12 months, I think 10 months ago, he had back surgery, um, you know, and he came out you know, this week. You know, obviously, not many people were expecting much of him. Goes out and defeats, you know, Fognini, Opelka. John Millman, you know, all, all singles players, you know, who are, are ranked very high above him. So he definitely kind of ex- exceeded expectations. I think actually I saw, um, you know, when he placed and played America, he had an 0-15 record um, and an 0-9 record against Australia. So he was definitely playing out of his skin. I think I think OJ Aliasim came in because I think that final, that, he was a bit knackered, I think. I think he, I think that was kind of the reason um he was switched for Auger Aliassim but um yeah they kind of have obviously done really well and, and again Shapovalov has had an excellent end to the season um and he's going to be a great you know it, it looks like 2020 could be his breakout season because you know we've said this season that you know he's gone a little bit quiet in terms of that you know, next gen crop of players, but who knows? Maybe 2020 is the year that Shapovalov really uh, makes a name for himself. But um, yeah, let's move on to the GB team and talk about more of their kind of exploits in Madrid because 
you know, I think yeah, we I'm obviously disappointed we, you know, went out in the in the semi-finals, but you know, the team all played amazing. I think that you know, I think you know, we've seen teams who have had um, you know, who've just got to the final or, or done very well with just kind of two players in the team. But I think kind of with GB it has genuinely and truly been a team effort. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've used all five of our players and like it's great that we've got a separate doubles team that we're not relying on the singles players to to play twice in one day. You know, often they you know have a maximum of 30 minutes between a singles and a doubles match. So it's just great that we have a very reliable, experienced doubles pair that, you know, were crucial for us getting through to the semifinals. Um, and then Carl Edmund, he he performed really well, didn't he? I think he he definitely proved that Leon Smith was right to pick him over Cam Norrie. You know, we were sort of having doubts beforehand. I think he proved the naysayers wrong. Dan Evans finally got his win. Um, dramatic third set tie break in that quarterfinal over uh, Jan Leonard Struff. So I think that will give him a bit of confidence because I think he would have left the tie feeling like his contribution was, you know, I don't know, you know just not enough but I think (laughs) being you know so crucial in that match um that really helps and I think yeah we've got really good depth um and also the team worked very well you know a very respectful good working team you know I'm sure other teams are but you can really see that on the court that it's all together um and I think having just Andy there as well even though he only played one match having him there was very important as a you know it's a cheerleader if you like yeah I mean this was for GB I think you know what's I think most impressive was how like not reliant we were on you know Andy Murray um yeah he only played that one singles match against you know the Netherlands and you know he got the win but you know let's be honest he kind of made heavy weather of it and you know I think it was kind of obvious that he wasn't as match fit as he would have liked, you know, he, we could we could blame it on the biscuits, couldn't we, Kim? But um... well, yeah, we could do. Um, I think he knew then that he wasn't really up to it, um, and I think, out of fairness, he probably thought, yeah, I would rather Kyle. You know, I think they've got a better chance, and he was right. I think wh- whoever we put in for each match was correct, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I was nicely surprised that Britain, you know, that we got to the semis. Um, you know, could have, could have beaten Spain. To be fair, oh, I know. And I, I know. I don't know what would have happened in the final uh, against against Canada. Um, Kyle again would would have been Kyle against Shapovalov, wouldn't it? And then Dan again. Oh no, Dan would have played Shapovalov. I keep thinking Kyle's the higher ranked, but he's not technically, is he? I kept making that mistake thinking, oh, so-and-so will be playing so-and-so. You got too far ahead of you. You I got know, too far no, ahead of your head But I tell. think both of us have to agree that, well, we don't have to, but I mean, I would agree that Kyle, you know, on his day is a better player than Dan Evans. Obviously, we've seen that he's got higher up in the rankings. Obviously, reached the semi-final of a Grand Slam. So naturally, he is the, the, the real sort of better player. I mean, you know, he has the potential to go further than Dan. I think what's great is that with the Davis Cup, I feel like Kyle Eben has truly found his form again. And it, again, it, it kind of looks to me that, yeah, next season, let's, you know, blank slate, let's start afresh and let's see how we do. Because, uh, yeah, I think if he had gone into the off-season on, on a sort of, downslope I don't you know I think that would have been maybe harder to come back on but the fact that he's 
you know, he's kind of finished the season on such a on such a high, winning all of his singles matches, all in straight sets against very you know established you know tour level opponents. I, I think that's going to do him a world of good. And you know, as I said on Twitter, I just think that Leon Smith knows how to get the best out of Carl Edmund, and if they could somehow. I'd, you know, I'd, I, it's probably impossible, but I'd love to see that partnership flourish on the ATP tour because I think, you know, I think with Leon Smith on, you know, Kyle Eben's side, he could get back up to kind of where he where he was um, because you know we've we've all seen how good of a tennis player he is, and you know I think this week we 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 got we got glimpses of of you know we've got glimpses of how good how good he can be. Joel, let's um, talk about the competition as a whole. I think the biggest thing that we kind of think needs to change for next year is just like the the format and the timings because there's some really mm. ridiculous moments where players were playing you know, in the <laughs> middle of the night. Matches weren't finishing until 3am. You know, we discussed this on our pods when we were there, you know, from our little clips. Um, they made the start times a bit earlier for, for the next day. They well, but only by half an hour, which isn't really going to do an awful lot. So I think they need to kind of think about the scheduling. I don't know how they could resolve this. Could they have less teams going forwards or have uh, four groups of four? I think the difficulty is they've got 18 teams. So it feels like the a only lot way of tennis is to and... have six times three, whereas in like a regular, you know, you'd have like groups of four. And I think another thing that was a problem is that people were finding it very difficult to work out who would be going through because you have these sort of two second place teams that can go through to the quarters. And it's very confusing working out the situations and scenarios that would mean they could qualify. There was definitely a bit of maths involved. And yeah, I certainly think that, you know, with the format, I think the, you know, the, yeah, the timings didn't work. You know, I think the, you know, GB Netherlands went late, you know, we were, we were already kind of, you know, through the first match in the night session on that Spain tie, and GB was still playing Netherlands in the, in the day session on on court three on court three or whatever. But yeah, I certainly think that needs to be addressed. Um, I thought it was interesting that this week um, it, it's, it's come out and said that you know PK is all for you know innovation and using the Davis Cup to kind of bring you know forward thinking to kind of the tennis world. And, and one of the ways you know they're looking to do that in the future, almost kind of their greatest ambition is to bring in a a, an event that involves both men and women, which again is very interesting. You know, we how are they going to the fit that, that in, though? I mean, they, I have no idea. They have to make no it over idea. two weeks, then, or would they be? Would it be a mixed event? Would they play mixed doubles, or is it going to be, you know, the men and the women play again, like, and then it's combined? I just think that might be a bit too. Like they're trying to go for something. I mean, are they trying to merge Davis Cup with Fed Cup? Like, what's wrong? I don't want to change the Fed Cup as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's its own thing. Why should the women have to, like, always join with with the men? I mean, they're trying to usurp the Fed Cup as well. The calendar is crying out for a mixed event. You know, given that the Hotman Cup has now been made extinct by this new ATP Cup, so. You know, for me, if the ultimate ambition for the Davis Cup is to become a, a mixed event, I think that is, you know, for me, that would be very interesting. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I would be, uh, yeah, I'd love to kind of see them get to that point. But it's, you know, these are the sorts of things, this is not going to happen overnight. There's going to have to be lots of kind of, <laughs> I guess, discussions being made. But um... personally, though, 
why don't they just make the ATP Cup? That is, for me, the Davis Cup isn't a problem. Like, even mm-hmm. in this new format, I don't mind it. The ATP Cup is the problem. They've got, basically, they've replaced the Hotman Cup with that. They've got rid of the women. And now everyone's saying, oh, but we need a mixed event. It's like, well, you had a perfectly good one that was got rid of. The ATP Cup is the one that should go. In my opinion, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I don't know. We haven't actually seen it yet. It might be, like, amazing. But it just seems like that's a pointless repetition of the Davis Cup. Uh, but it wouldn't be pointless if it had women, <laughs> you know, and was a mixed. Um, they could have just tweaked the Hopman Cup. They could have just expanded the Hopman Cup. They could have moved the Hopman Cup, you know, to made that against three um, across three cities. Like, I don't know. I, I think like what Djokovic is saying, you know, he said in the press that he doesn't think that the Davis Cup and then the ATP Cup being only six weeks apart is going to work in the long term. And I, and I do kind of agree with him. I just think they can't really... Yeah, he said they couldn't coexist together. And I think, yeah, I just feel like there's got to be some change. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens and we'll see what unfolds. But I don't like the idea of the Davis Cup. Like, yes, okay, I'm all for mixed events. But if they're going to try and bring the Fed Cup and merge it with the Davis Cup, like, I think the Fed Cup is like a great tournament on its own. Why? Why should, I don't know. Anyway, what do you think? What, do, what does everyone think? Uh, listeners, like, let us know your thoughts on all of this because I'm still it is a bit a mess. undecided. It is a mess, but, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a mess, a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Let's. I think. I think the thing is, it's like you know, we've we've had the Davis Cup, and I think it was quite you know clear, kind of looking on Twitter that I think you know some you know there are people who were kind of vocalizing and being critics from day one, and you know I think you know we can only assess these things once the event has happened. And I feel like I'm going to have to wait until the ATP Cup has happened before that is true, yeah. it becomes it becomes clearer. And I, you know, we can understand sort of what the role is of each of these kind of team events, or even if they have a role, um, you know, in the in the kind of the tennis calendar. Because at the moment, obviously, it is it is the biggest talking point because we've got these, you know, we've got these, um, we've got all these kind of team events. You've got the Labour Cup as well. And it feels very, it feels, it feels oversaturated. So yes, let's, let's, let's have the, let's wait and see. Um, I think kind of for me, you know, the other kind of big issue is, you know, we kind of talk about this as the world cup of tennis. That's how they brand it. Um, I think it's interesting that I think Spain have obviously had it this year. They've had home advantage this year from a fan perspective and they will have, the tournament for the next i think for at least the minimum the next two i think potentially three years so if you're going to tell me as a kind of a gb fan for example that you know spain are going to get home advantage for every tie you know they have for the next three years you know i think you know i'd like obviously i'd love to see it move you know like like the world cup does um you know could that you know it, you know the, for example the world tour finals are moving from the o2 to somewhere else after next year could you know could it move could it come to london at what at some point um you know i think there is a question that you know yes it's great that you know we've we've got this venue in in spain that can do you know it can have it's got enough space for three indoor courts and you know produce kind of you know it's is kind of a good location that you know fans can get to but i do wonder whether uh, you know for me I, i think the big question is okay spain have got it now Who's going, to, who's going to have it next? Well, exactly. And they've got it, yeah, for definitely next year. I think the year after as well is looking likely. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it could come to the UK because obviously by then we would have lost the World Tour finals. So I think at this time of the year, it's really good. I think you know that you'd get a really good uh, number of fans probably coming over if it was held in the UK. Not sure London, where where would they do it? Wembley Arena? I mean, you'd need to have multiple courts. Yeah, I feel like Birmingham is probably the biggest space, indoor space you could probably get in the UK. But I'm sure there'll be lots of cities bidding, you know, for this. I mean, we'll see how they're going to revise the format. There might be some tweaks and changes. And it seems, you know, it's good that PK and Cosmos Group are sort of up for doing that. Um, I think, yeah, some people might be questioning, you know, PK Spanish. It's been held in Spain. Spain have won. It's all very convenient for him. Um, but what else has been going on this week, Joel? We've had, well, we have had Sasha Bayan announce that he's going to be coaching Diana Yastremska, um for the foreseeable future. So interesting partnership going on there. And also Federer has been gallivanting around South America with Sasha Zverev, playing to sell out audiences. 42,000 fans, I believe, in Mexico City. Have you seen that photo of the the Mexico City bullring sold out? I mean, that is kind of unbelievable in terms of getting eyes on a tennis court you know if you think that you know us open arthur ash which i think is the biggest purpose-built tennis stadium and that is i think 20 20 25 000. this is forty three thousand people watching an ex an exhibition match it's it is i mean it's mind-boggling um it's it's great um it, i just think you know it's kind of like they're the sorts of crowds that Davis Cup obviously want to track. They want to track sellout arenas, and I don't think we got that as much as they the the organisers would have hoped for this week. Um, and I think that put it in context. Yeah, I just think it's mad that um, how can you possibly see what's going on on the court if you're <laughs> like up in the back row of a stadium that big? I. Very, get some binoculars <laughs> well yeah literally i mean it's just crazy but um yeah i mean people have been you know having a go at this exhibition tour because it's all about money and you know zverev didn't play davis cup and he's off you know with federer doing these exhibitions but um, i think they had to cancel one didn't they in Colombia because of i don't know what the reason was security uh politics yeah but i mean if i was zverev though you know he's probably maybe not been to some of these places like so he's a young guy wants to maybe explore a bit of the world he's getting paid lots of money to do it um you know it's like the tennis version of i don't know backpacking through south america maybe <laughs> i don't know and i didn't realize actually kim the previous record for an attendance at a, a tennis match was thirty five thousand six hundred eighty one people and that was set in 2010 who played in that match? Listeners, you can play on as well. Who do you think played in the previously the highest attended uh, match, uh, ten, uh, tennis match? 35,681 in, in 2010. Uh, well, um, where where was it? Is, is there any clues? It was or in Belgium. Belgium. Which should give you a clue about one of the contestants. Oh, right. Okay. Are they Belgians? Um 2010. Justine Ennin? Kim, oh, oh, Kim Clijsters. It was, was going to be one or the other. It was Kim Clijsters and Serena Williams. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. It was a little bit of an interesting fact. But, um, yeah, apparently uh, Federer has, has announced, I mean, they've 
you know, he just wants to break records, you know, every, every day of the week. And he's already announced that he is going to be facing Nadal in an exhibition match in February in South Africa um, at the Cape Town Stadium, which has a capacity of 55,000. So if that sells out, which you'd hope it's you you hope it would with you know Nadal and Federer on show, um, that could be another kind of crazy sort of picture and and the people in the back row again. How are they going to see it? How are they going to see a tennis ball? But oh, um, I know it's a bit a bit much. But yeah, um, let us know if we've got any listeners who have been in South America going to these exhibitions, or perhaps South Africans who are going to be going to the one next year. Let us know um, your thoughts. Um, and Joel, we've also got um, something that a little plea to our, our listeners. We've got a little survey that we'd like to ask everyone to complete as our, our Christmas present to us. We'd like some feedback. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we're obviously coming to the end of the season and it would be great if uh, any of our listeners, um, we are doing a survey uh the passing shot tennis survey um just to capture some thoughts from our listeners about how the season has gone on the podcast and what we can do what we can improve on um for next season the link is on twitter and we'll also put it in the description of this podcast it's all anonymous and should take uh between 10 and 15 minutes and uh it would be greatly appreciated by myself and kim um, but apart from that, uh, we have got one more episode. Uh, we're going to be doing our, our our second quiz. We did a first half of the season uh, quiz on the ATP and WTA uh, tours. And we're going to be doing a second half um, of the season quiz uh, next Sunday. So I hope you can join us then. Uh, but in the meantime, obviously, uh, you can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Passing Shot Pod. If you want to contact the show as well, you can do so on email, passingshotpod at gmail.com. Um, and if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, uh, feel free to leave us a rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts and also subscribe to the show but for now um i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the passing shot and our, our davis cup catch up and we'll see you next time so thanks for listening and goodbye when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.